Well, I know that no one else's kids are going to be like what I'm about to share with you. I know that when you were a kid, you didn't respond like this. And if you are a kid, I know you don't act like this. But there's this ongoing saga in our household. And what it looks like is this. We have three kids. I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old, two boys on the lower end. And usually once or twice a week, maybe three or four times a week, one of them comes out screaming yelling, mad, and crying, or maybe all of them together at the same time. In fact, when I was like, Katie, I need a story to start this sermon off with. Can you think of a time they did that? She was like, it's every day, babe. I was like, okay, good. We'll just, we'll just in general, we'll talk in general terms. Uh, and so sure enough, one of them will come out screaming, crying. One of the siblings has done something. And you know, like 5% of the time, it's something legitimate, right? Like it's something like, I need to step in. It's time for some discipline. This is not okay. 95% of the time, it's something very petty. And so my youngest, Judah, he's been doing this since, honestly, he was like three. It's just ingrained in him. He'll come out, and if it's one of like the petty things, I just kind of like to have fun. I don't know. I'm not saying this is good parenting. It's just what I do. Um, And I'll be like, well, what do you think I should do, buddy? And he wants like the swift arm of justice brought down. Like it doesn't matter if someone barely brushed his shoulder or pushed him to the ground. He's like, it's going down, Dad. Go in there. Just wreck shop. That's that's his go-to. Now, Micah is a little bit different. He's our middle. And what he'll do is he'll come out, and sometimes I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? And, and a lot of times, I'm just like, y'all just go on and play. But he'll say something that, that uh, reveals a little of his heart and probably our heart as well. He'll be like, Dad, you're not going to do anything? You, do, you not, do you care about me? Do you, do you not care that this just happened? And what he's essentially saying, right, is he's like, Dad, someone just hurt me. You're my father. Are you not going to step in and do something and make this right? Like, I have been sinned against. You need to step in and do something. And then, and then here's what usually takes place. I'm sure, you, again, you can't relate with this. One of them comes crying, and then so finally I'm like, I better step in on this thing. We go, I gather up all three. No one knows what happened. You know, no, I don't even know. wasn't even there. And then eventually we find out that the one that came out crying and yelling and screaming was actually the one that instigated everything and had done something worse than what was done to him. And then that person that wanted the swift arm of justice is like, no, nah, Dad, we're good. We're just, we're good. I'm sorry. That... <laughs> That's my fault. We're just going to go play now, Dad. It's all good. Don't worry. Uh, and, and I see this play out all the time. And I share this story because there is a reality that you and I, from the time we were kids, have been ingrained with this idea that when we are sinned against, that there better be justice served to those that have sinned against us. In fact, we, we usually will have very little mercy and grace towards those that hurt us or hurt someone that we love, but yet when we are the offender, we are all too quickly and happy to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. This plays out for all of humanity. I love the story of David and Bathsheba, um, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with this, right? David, King David's on the roof, sees Bathsheba, decides, man, I want her. I don't care what's morally right, ethically right. I don't care what God has called me to. That's what I want, so I'm going to have it. They have an affair. Her husband, Uriah, is, is, is in the army, and Bathsheba gets pregnant. And King David's like, all right, I've got to figure out how to hide this sin of mine. Puts Uriah on the front line. He's killed instantly. He's like, I've made it. I'm out. No one even knows what happened. Marries Bathsheba. All is well. But my favorite part is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because Nathan at the time is the prophet. And chapter 12 starts with God saying, God sent Nathan to David. And David, Nathan tells this story that I love. He begins to tell this story of this rich man that has all these lambs. 
and of this one poor man that has one baby euling lamb, like just an infant, nothing even really great about it. And he raises, the poor man raises this lamb up, says he even considers it like his own daughter. So pretty much it's like the same thing as you and I that have like a dog. If you're a dog person, you're like, this is, I love you more than any person on earth. You are most faithful. Like this is what's happening. And this, this guy on a journey comes to the rich man. And the rich man decides, hey, I'm going to throw a party for this traveler and I need a lamb for us to eat. And he's got hundreds of lambs to pick from, but he goes and he takes the baby lamb from the poor man and kills the lamb to eat. Nathan tells this story to David. And I want you to hear David's response just for a moment. David, who has had a man killed, committed adultery with another man's wife, and is trying to hide all of his sin. Here's how he responds to, uh, to Nathan when he tells this story. 2 Samuel 12, verse 5 through 6 says this, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, he's like, he's making an oath, he's a pledge, like, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he will restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Like, like think about this for a moment. Like, I do have a little golden retriever dog that, that's an eight-month-old puppy that, you know, I'm fond of. It's a smart dog. I like it. If my neighbor, who has chickens, decides to kill Ruby one day because Ruby's chasing the chickens, I'm going to be upset. Like, you just killed my dog. What I'm not going to do is gather up my posse and be like, hey, they killed Ruby. Let's go get him with our guns. Come on. It's game time. Like, we're taking this dude down. That, that is an irrational response to go kill a human being because they killed my dog, Correct. But yet you've got David full of sinful activity and behavior. Nathan comes and says pretty much someone's pet was taken and killed. And he's like, that dude deserves to die. As the Lord, on the Lord, I swear that dude's dying. And my favorite part of the whole story is then Nathan like drops the mic. Because he turns to him, he's like, you are that man. And he just goes off on David. And here's what I find. We see David full of sin. Hearing about a story of some dude's lamb showing no mercy, no grace, no room for error, no room for reconciliation, just death. Bring the hammer. And in Psalm 51, if you've never read that beautiful scripture, this is actually what David prays once Nathan has kind of called him out. His first two lines are this in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He's like, have mercy, Lord. Please don't kill me. He goes on, he's like, don't take your Holy Spirit for me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Please, God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Please don't have your wrath and your, ju and your justice come down on me. And I find it very interesting that we see this play out in David's life. And if we're probably honest... This type of heart plays out in our life, right? We're, it's not sinful that we desire justice. Justice is a good thing. But what we desire a lot of times is justice as long as, it's, as, long as we are not the offender. And all, all of a sudden we have a misconstrued view of really the heart of God. As we get into Jonah chapter 4, Here's what's interesting. Jonah should have ended last week, if you think about it, right? It should have ended in chapter three. Think about what's happened. The Lord comes to Jonah. He's like, I need you to go to Nineveh, your enemy, preach the gospel. Jonah runs. He gets swallowed by the fish. He's in the fish. He repents. 
God delivers him, gives him a second chance. Jonah, go back to Nineveh. He actually goes, the preacher goes to the wicked city, preaches the gospel, and they respond, and God relents. Most preachers at that point would be pretty excited, like, holy cow, look at this. This wicked city has turned to God because I went in and preached and was faithful to the Lord. We should be like closing the book, new book to start. That's a happy ending. But we've got chapter four that all of a sudden unravels the layers of what has actually been taking place in Jonah's heart this entire time. And it reveals in us probably some things we can relate with because it's ingrained in us as children, just like my kids. And so what we're about to see in Jonah chapter four is the heart of Jonah, a a very sinful heart, a very prideful heart, a heart full of hate, a lack of grace for his enemy, an elevated view of himself and his country. There there is a little bit of racism happening in Jonah's heart and it's all gonna be exposed and we're also going to see the heart of God. So Jonah chapter four, starting in verse one. If you remember, the last verse of chapter three says this, when God saw what they had done, the Ninevites repenting, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of disaster that he had said and he would do to them, he did not do it. Verse four, or verse one of chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. <laughs> Jonah is angry and upset. What is he displeased and angry at? The fact that they repented? I don't think so. I think he is angry and upset at the fact that God has offered an opportunity for repentance. He's literally mad at God. The, the pastor, the preacher, the prophet he is mad at the Lord because he has offered up to his enemy something that he doesn't believe his enemy deserves. And really what Jonah is doing in this moment is going, God, you're wrong. Dad, you're wrong. Did you not see what these people did to me? How are you not gonna respond? How are you not gonna bring the swift arm of justice? Do you even know what you're doing? We are the people of Israel. We are your chosen children. These people are persecuting us, killing us. They are wicked and sinful and they don't even know who you are and you're not gonna respond? What are you doing? Verse two, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? There was a conversation that took place with, between Jonah and God where Jonah said, I need you to go to Nineveh, bub. Go preach the gospel. And he's like, absolutely not. Do you not know who these people are? Do you not remember what they've done? I'm, I'm not doing that, Lord. You don't, you don't even know what you're asking me to do as your prophet. And you see this extreme nationalism in, in Jonah in this moment. moment. We, we've seen him say, I'm a Hebrew on the boat, right? That was his first moment of like, you see his nationalistic pride. We see in this moment, he's like, when I was in my country, that's your country, God. This isn't your country. Israel's your country. And when we were there, when we were in your country, I told you, this isn't the thing to do. And listen to what he says. And that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We, we had all these in the beginning. There's these like moments where you're like, why is he running to Tarsus? I'm like, man, maybe he's scared for his life. I wouldn't want to go into the capital city of my greatest enemy and start telling them God's about to destroy their city, like the most ruthless civilization that's ever existed. That's pretty terrifying. Maybe he's scared. 
Maybe he just doesn't want to go. Maybe he's not sure what's going to happen. No, he's literally like, I hate those people and I would rather die in Tarshish than go there. When he jumps into the water and says, guys, just throw me over the boat, it is because of his extreme hate for these people. And yet we see Jonah in the well or in the fish, whatever it was, praying this prayer of repentance, receiving the grace and the mercy and this loving kindness, the steadfast love of the Lord that, that delivers him from the well and gives him a second chance. And like we talked about, he was all too, all too happy to receive that. But his heart is in this place where he goes, these people do not de- deserve that. They are a wicked, sinful generation. They are a nation that has turned from you that doesn't even know you. And they don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your grace. They deserve your wrath. And I want to pause for a moment because we have to be careful, okay? We, the, what's amazing about this church is there's so many denominational backgrounds represented in here, which is really cool. But here's what we need to understand real quickly because people preach this kind of differently all over. God is still a God of wrath and anger. He hates sin. Like, he will have his way against sinfulness. But we have to understand that the way he has dealt with sin and, and, and his wrath is he has poured it out on Jesus for you and I. And for those that don't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're going to feel the full brunt of his wrath and anger towards sin. It is this unmerited, massive favor and love of the Lord that he has allowed his wrath and anger to pass over you and I. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, his wrath and anger is no longer toward you. It's important that you know that. It's important that we remember as we look at this, there's a couple things. What I'm not saying is, hey, when we are sinned against, because there's some heinous sins against people. I'm, I'm not saying that there's still not justice that needs to be served. I'm still not saying that when we are sinned against in a great way that we just act like nothing happened. Uh, we just let people continue to harm us or harm our children. Uh, what I'm not saying is that. But what I am saying is that our heart towards people is massively important. And so we're going to continue to see his heart towards people. And so he says this, he says, oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is like the most melodramatic dude of all scripture. He's on the boat, just kill me guys, I'm not going back. Now he's got this moment where he's preached the gospel, people have responded, he's angry, so angry at God, he's like, just kill me. I'm not going back home, just kill me. This is ridiculous, Lord. I'm so mad at you, just take my life. It'd be better that I'm dead than these sinners come to know you and you, you relent. And I love the heart of God. Man, again, we understand that God does pour out his wrath. God is angry towards sin, but he is so kind, so loving, so gentle, and so patient, so long-suffering. There's these times where my kids get extremely angry about really stupid stuff. And what I'll usually do is I'll sit with them and I'll say, is this helping you? Like, what is this accomplishing for you right now? You were, you were throwing a full-blown fit right now about something that doesn't matter. Is it helping you along? And it's out of love. I just want them to see like, oh, I'm acting like an idiot right now. This is silly. And, and listen to what the Lord does. If I, I'm just going to tell you, I'll be honest, I'm not the Lord. But if I was the Lord and Jonah was talking to me like this, I'd be like, nah, not happening. Lightning bolt, you're dead. I'm moving on. I'm not going to listen to you talk to me and tell me I'm wrong about what I'm doing, Jonah. But here's how God responds. And the Lord said, do you do well to, do, to be angry? Like, I love that. Like, God could have responded any way he wants, and he, like, responds to him like a kid throwing a fit. Like, is, 
is being angry right now helping you, Jonah? Or do, do you do well being angry about this? And we see no response from Jonah, but instead there's more action. And, and, and here's what I believe. I had a pastor one time that sin makes you stupid. I believe that. I, I believe that the deeper and deeper we go into sin, it just makes us more and more stupid. And, and so what we're going to see is, is Jonah continue to just do some really irrational, dumb things. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat at, to the east of the city, and he made a booth. The, the, the Hebrew word for this is kind of like just a temporary shelter. Maybe he was going to hang out for a couple of days, see what's going to happen. He made a temporary booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what became of the city. What was the message that, that Jonah was preaching? 40 days, and the Lord's going to destroy your city. And, and it was like talk like, hey, this is going to look like Sodom and Gomorrah. We're talking about hellfire and brimstone, ashes and smoke is coming. And so this dude's like, I'm so mad at you, God. He's like, why are you mad, bro? I'm just going to, I'm going. I don't even know. Makes a tent, sits down. And he's like, I'm waiting 40 days. Maybe God will still, still just smash the city to the ground. So here he is hanging out under the thing. Let's see what God's going to do, what's going to become of the city. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. I love this. Like we've seen God appoint stuff over and over and over in the book of Jonah. And every time, whether it makes sense or not, we see that he is teaching us things. And this is so important, guys, for us to remember as the children of God. If you, have, if you know Jesus, there are moments where God appoints things that may come your way that may make you uncomfortable. May even make you a little bit angry. But he is trying to teach us what it looks like to look like him. And so he appoints, and, and I'll just tell you, I, I've preached through Jonah before. I, this is one of my favorite books. I've read this many, many, many times. This part was always the weirdest part to me. But I, I think I'm starting to see it a little clearer as we've gone through it this time. He says this, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God miraculously makes a big leafy plant come up, provides some shade. You've got to think he's in the desert. It's hot. So here's this plant that comes up overnight. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed, I'm sorry, verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. So in a day's time, this plant has grown up, provided shade. God sends a worm, eats the plant. And, and again, you could see why I've read this and been like, this is just, where is this going? Plant goes down. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Obviously, Jonah didn't have hair because I know what this is like when the sun is beating down. You're like, I'm dying out in here. And so all of a sudden, this east wind comes, right? And I, I just picture like those moments where it's like hot wind, and I, I picture being in the desert, and there's like sand in the wind, and it's just crazy hot. You're dying of heat. And how does Jonah respond? And he asks again that he might die. And said, it's better for me to die than to live. <laughs> so here's Jonah again. He's like, the plant's gone. I'm ready to die again, Lord. I'm just done with this life. Just take me out. And he goes on and here's what the Lord says. <laughs> God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He asked the exact same question he had asked about Nineveh, but now to this silly plant. This time Jonah responds, and he said, yes, I do well to be angry. He's like, yeah, dang right. This plant's gone. I am mad. I am, I, I am ready to die. And here's what the Lord said. Here's the lesson that he's trying to teach Jonah. 
He says, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, it I, should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle, which is a weird way to end the entire book with just that phrase. But he's like, Jonah, you are upset about a plant that came up in a day and was gone in a night. You're, you're pitying this plant that some worm ate and it died. You didn't do anything for the plant. And yet you're going, man, I should not have pity on 120,000 people that don't know the right hand from their left hand. Like here is the heart of God. We see Jonah's heart all of a sudden. Man, Jonah is a prideful, arrogant, honestly probably racist dude that could, could care less about God bringing his mercy and, and, and justice I'm sorry, mercy and grace to the Ninevites. But God is this God of love and patience. Look at what he said in the beginning. Like, this is why we sing. He said, I, did, I, I flee to Tarshish because I knew what? That you were a gracious God. That you were merciful. That you're slow to anger and you're abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Like, that's why we come and sing. Right? That you and I, while we were doing whatever it was we thought was necessary... When we were a thousand miles from the Lord and had nothing to do with God, while we were his enemy, he came and pursued us. And he showed us love and mercy and grace and steadfastness and patience. Man, I am glad that God is a patient God. I'm glad that it, when I deserved his wrath, he was patient with me to come to know him. When I deserved him to separate me forever for eternity in hell from him, he was like, I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to be gentle with you and I'm going to speak to you as a child because you don't know your right hand from your left hand, man. I'm going to give you a grace and a mercy and a life that you can't earn and don't deserve because this is who I am. Here's what's amazing to me. Jesus is, is the better Jonah. Jesus didn't go preach to his enemies a message to save them. Jesus went to his enemies and died so that he could save them. Like Jesus fulfills everything that Jonah does not. The king of the universe says, come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Why? Take my yoke upon you for my, my heart, my, my, like who I am, I am gentle and lowly at heart. Here's the king of the universe saying, you want to know who I am? You want to know what, what my, my heart is? It's gentle and lowly as the savior of the world. And the Bible would say that Jesus is the exact representation of the father, the exact imprint. So there is a nature, there is a character in God, in Jesus, that is gentle and lowly, even though he's the maker of the heavens and the earth. And he lavishes that on you and I. And then he calls us to go and, and, and to to be ministers of reconciliation like we talked about, that our, our mouth would be declaring who Jesus is to all nations. To represent this better Jonah named Christ. But, but here, here's what we have to be careful of, guys. And I want to be sensitive to what I'm about to say. Um, we're, we're just like my kids, right? Like, when someone in your workplace that you don't like, maybe that mistreats people, does things unethically, has something bad happen to them, usually in us there's something that goes, you got what you had coming, dude. 
right? If someone has hurt your kids or hurt you and something bad happens to that person, we're pretty excited about that. When, when, when we need to forgive, when we need to show grace, we struggle with that. And, and I want to start with this. Here's what's interesting to me. Who is the only person that their life is just undone and miserable in this story? It's Jonah. Like the dude that can't show grace, the dude that can't forgive, the guy that that can't love, that can't move past his bitterness and his hate towards someone else is the only person in this story actually enslaved. The Ninevites are free at this point. (laughs) And and so here's what I'm going to tell you. We live a life sometimes where it is so difficult for us to show grace. It's so difficult for us to show mercy. And I'm telling you, it enslaves us because it's sin. Again, I go back to what I said in the beginning. Some of you guys have had some horrific things done to you in your past. That doesn't make it okay. We don't just go, oh, no big deal, just love them. But, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you this, that though justice needs to be served and, and, and though things are not okay and we have a legal system that's important, all those things, our heart cannot represent that spiritually. Our heart has to be a representation of Christ that says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart because my Savior is gentle and lowly of heart. I extend grace, and I don't, I don't see myself as elevated where someone else can't receive grace. I mean, let's think about it for a second. I want you to know, as a church, we stand very strongly on conservative biblical views of gender and sexuality, right? Like, it, it is clear in Scripture that marriage is to be between a man and a woman, It is clear in scripture that he has made us male and female. So we live in this time right now where this is a big deal. This is a big cultural hot button. And I don't spend a lot of time on cultural hot buttons because I spend a lot of time on the gospel. But here's what I want to tell you. If we're not careful, we become like Jonah. This is, would you look at the wickedness? And and I'm not saying it's not sinful. It's not wickedness. It is. But I just wonder if God, as he's in his patience and his kindness, who will eventually make all things right, is looking at our nation specifically saying, am I not to have pity on those that don't know their left hand from the right hand? And yet we sit and go as the church, man, we hate these people. They're the most sinful people we know. They're wrecking our, our nation. This is God's country. And we look down and we go, they don't deserve the grace of the Lord. They deserve the wrath of God. And if we're not careful, we forget that you and I deserve the wrath of God. If we're not careful, we, don't, we, we forget that pornography is, is just as much a sexual sin as homosexuality. We don't, we don't preach that message. God, I wish you would just take out all the people that look at pornography. We gotta be careful, church. Sin is sin. God hates sin. But he loves his creation. And he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he says to us, should I not have pity on the don't, those that don't know their left hand from the right hand? And shame on us if we don't have the same heart. Shame on us if we don't stand up for what is right. You know, I, I look at Jonah and, and here's what I see. Dude, I see a guy that hates this country and thinks his country is better. If we're not careful, we'll be the same. And we would be foolish to say that racism doesn't exist. I'm not about to go on a big racism thing. But we'd be foolish to say it hasn't existed and that it doesn't still exist. And there's wrong on both sides of all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. 
But here's what I would tell you. God has called you and I to remember that we are nothing and Jesus loves us and has saved us because we were made in his image. And it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter the race that you are. We are all on level playing ground. And so as the people of God, we stand up for those that may look completely different than us. We stand up for those that even we go, man, look at what they're doing. I don't agree with it, but I'm going to show you mercy and grace because God has shown that to me. We're going to love people the way that God loves people because he's created each of us in his image. There is no one that has outsinned the grace of God. Praise the Lord, right? Like that's you and me. I'm going to tell you the people that struggle most with the gospel, the, the people that struggle most with seeing who the Lord is are those that think they're pretty good and God just did a little bit of saving to help them be better. Man, if you have this view of yourself that, you know what, I, overall I was a pretty good guy always until I met Jesus. So he just, you know, he cleaned up some things. I used to cuss a little bit and, you know, whatever. But he's, he's kind of forgiven me of those things and I'm doing better now. I'm a good guy. That's a pretty small cross, <laughs> That's a pretty small amount of grace that Jesus has lavished on you to call him his son and daughter. But if we get honest and we go, I'm the chief of sinners. I, me, I'm wicked. And left to my own, I will be selfish. I will be arrogant. I could care less about other people. It's just who I am. I, I'm a broken individual. But Christ has saved me. And if we can get to a place where we remind ourselves that we were sinful, that we are sinful, that we were wicked, that we deserved no grace, no mercy. Man, the cross becomes huge because he calls us righteous. This is the great message of the gospel. This is the great message of your identity if you have trusted in Jesus is that he calls you holy and righteous and you know, I know that's not true of who I actually am, but it's what God says I am now. And this is the beauty of of the gospel message, this is the beauty of the cross, and we want to be a church that doesn't elevate our, our stance and look down from the mountain and say, look at everybody else that doesn't deserve the grace of the Lord because we are his people, we are his country. But we look and go, we were broken, lost, needy, homeless people that God has given as heirs to the kingdom, and we want to declare that for his glory. I've been praying so hard lately that we would start to see people in this church come to know Jesus. And, and maybe you're in this room, you're like, I do know Jesus. Well, then I, I'm praying that we as a church would live on mission and see people come to know Jesus. That we would have this, this heart of the Father that longs and pities those that are, are sheep without a shepherd. Listen, homosexuality is wrong. All this gender stuff's crazy. I get it. But all they're doing is seeking to find something that satisfies their heart and they're just looking in the wrong places. It's the same reason you run after whatever it is that you run after. There's moments that we forget that God is the only thing that will satisfy so we run after whatever. And we say, maybe this will. Jesus is all that will satisfy. And the world just needs to know that. They just don't know their left hand from the right hand. They're doing wicked stuff that I don't condone. They're doing things that I, 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 sometimes that I'm like, man, there needs to be consequences, absolutely, but they still need Jesus. I still don't know their left hand from the right hand. And if God had not come after me, I may, who knows what I'd be doing? Who knows where I'd be? And so this is the beauty of the gospel, and this is the beauty of the story of Jonah. If we're honest, we relate with Jonah a lot more than, than we would probably want to let on. 
But here's what I love. Throughout the entire story, God is patient and kind to his prodigal prophet. Just like you and I. We get it wrong all the time, and yet he comes, he goes, hey, why are you upset? Let, let, let me give you a second chance to go do what I just told you to do. He's kind and he's gracious towards us because he is building for himself a people to call his own so that his glory may be known on all the earth. And we get to be a part of that. It's the most amazing thing that we have, guys. To know Jesus, to walk with him and be on his mission is the greatest thing that we have going for us. And so I'm excited. I'm excited what hopefully this book will have done in us. It, it should stir us up. It should make us like, ugh. But man, God's wanting to move in us to make us look more and more like Christ. And in that, here's what I can tell you. Here's what I've, here's what I've found. The more we look like Jesus, the more we follow him, the more we die to self and we are obedient to him, we find more and more joy and hope and life in him. It's the moments that we forget that and we run after everything else that we find death. It's the moments that we run off and we find ourselves in left field going, this isn't the life I thought I wanted because it can only be found in Jesus. And he invites us into that church. So it's exciting. I I want you to join with me and start praying, God, would you use us to save the lost? (laughs) Would we be mindful of other people, the souls of men and women? And would you use us for your glory? That's my hope for us. We're not gonna be some hot button church that we talk about all the hot button subjects all the time. We're gonna talk about the gospel. But I'll tell you what, we're gonna stand up for what's right. And we're going to speak into things that are untrue, and it's important. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to be on this journey with you guys. I'm, I'm excited to be in the middle of Jonah with you. <laughs> let, let me tell you, as, as you study this and you're about to stand before people and say these things, you're like, okay, there's a lot of things I need to do too, Lord. There's a lot of, a lot of times I, I, I don't need to get angry with people or upset with people or be happy when something bad happens to someone I don't like. That's, that's not of you. It's in us. But God's doing a work in us, and and praise the Lord that he is not through with us. So let me pray. God, we do thank you for the book of Jonah. We we thank you that more than anything, it shows us our depravity, our sin, our our, our propensity to just run for ourselves. And, And God, it gives us a glimpse into your heart for the nations and for people and for us. It reminds us that, praise the Lord, we needed a better Jonah, and Jesus was that better Jonah. And Jesus, we thank you that you pursued after us while you you would call us your enemy. You said we are your enemy, and yet you came towards us and pursued us. We were the sheep that had gone astray, and you came and, and, and brought us into the fold. And so we thank you, Jesus. I pray for the people in this room. I pray for my own heart that you remind me of who I am outside of you so that the cross would be that much bigger. That my heart and my soul would be so stirred up for the the love that you have lavished on me. The identity that you have given me because I was a wanderer and I was sinful and wicked and I was dead and you brought me to life. And God, I pray that you would convict me, you would convict us, You would make us a people of repentance when we look down on others. And when we say those people aren't worthy of 
grace and mercy. When we elevate our status and our, our country or our race or our um, socioeconomic status and begin to look down at others, God, that is sinful and we confess that. And we want to be a church that walks in humility because you are gentle and lowly in spirit. We, we want to have hearts for people, God, regardless of where they come from, regardless of what they have. God, we want to see people as souls that will spend eternity separated from you. God, when we, when we bump into people that we just can't stand the sin that is in their life, God, would we remember that they just don't know their left hand from the right? And they are seeking and searching so hard to find something that will bring peace and they're just lost. And could we speak life into them? God, I thank you that all that is broken, all that has been wronged, you will make right. We don't pretend this morning that there's not a ton of pain involved with being sinned against. And so we thank you that you are our defender and that you will have your way. And so we leave that to you, God. You say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so we leave it to you. I thank you for this church, God. I look forward every Sunday to wake up and come and sing of your goodness, to take communion together, to pray together, to hear from you. Man, God, we just want to be for you and about you. We don't want to play games, God. We just want to know you and, and run deep after what you have for our lives. And so I pray that you would do that in us. We want to see the supernatural. We want to be your ministers. We want to be your ambassadors. And we want to honor you with our lives. And so this next few minutes, God, would you just have your way in us? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.